Open your Bibles to Psalm 130. Psalm 130, beginning in verse 1, it says, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for tonight, Lord, uh, just for the opportunity for us to come together. Lord, we thank you that we have this building, Lord, to gather in safely, uh, a place for our kids to go and uh, be taught the word in Sunday school classes or the Wednesday night study classes, Lord, a place for us to come and to worship you without interruptions, Lord a place for us to gather and pray for one another, to hear from your word. Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, we thank you for uh, just the work that you do in our lives every day, Lord. As uh, we sang tonight in these songs, just of uh, the beautiful gift of your grace, Lord, that you've given to us, Lord, uh, as sinners saved by your mercy and your grace, Lord. We thank you so much for that, Lord. As we look at your word, as we look at these things, as we ponder uh, your love, your mercy, your grace, Lord, uh, that we would have just the the work of your spirit in our hearts, Lord, through the power of your word, doing surgery, Lord, doing healing in our hearts, Lord, uh, doing the work that needs to be done. We pray that our ears and our hearts would be open to you, to what you have to say tonight. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So uh, I told Dan on Sunday I was planning on doing this psalm, and he had talked to me before Sunday that he was going to share some of the things he shared about what was going on in Israel um, and, and our... Uh, role as believers and Israel's role in God's plan and, and uh, just this um, really demonic uh, doctrine of replacement theology <coughs> that has entered into the church. Uh, and uh, But I had, again, like I said, been planning on doing this psalm, and so it's interesting how it dovetails in with what Dan was talking about. But really, this psalm is a song of ascent, so it's one of those psalms. We have a group of them. Um, after Psalm 119, it's from 120 um, on. Uh, there's uh, up to 134. There's songs of ascent, or pilgrimage, or going up, or degrees. Uh, and historically, they were used, after they were compiled together, they were used during the times of feasts for the Jews as they would make pilgrimage up to the temple. You, you guys know this and have heard this as we've looked at some of these psalms. And this was, this was one of those psalms. And uh, this psalm itself, as we read, as we looked at, we see the focus is uh, really it starts with a need. Uh, the psalmist here, verse 1, he says, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. That word depths means deep water. Uh, it's, it's this picture of someone who's drowning, uh, someone who is uh, out of their depth, can't touch the bottom, has no hope of staying afloat. And the psalmist here 
uh, he cries out and says, out of the depths I've cried to you, O Lord. The first thing for us here is that uh, it doesn't matter how deep we are, how far away we feel from the Lord, we can cry out to him and he hears us. And we're called to cry out to him. The psalmist, he knew that it didn't matter how far, how low, how deep he was, he could cry out to the Lord. And he did so. We have that. It doesn't matter where we're at in our lives. If we cry out to the Lord, he hears us. Oftentimes, we can grow frustrated believing we've prayed to God and he's not answered our prayers. But when we cry out to him, he has heard us. He does hear us. The answer may not be forthcoming in the way that we see it, but he knows and he hears and the psalmist, it's a cry of faith here. Desperation, but, it, but desperation pointed in the right direction. Uh, it's pointed to the Lord and not to others. It's not seeking to figure out how to get out of the depths, but it's saying, Lord, I'm crying to you. I, I can't handle this. Charles Spurgeon, he, he wrote, he said, Don't say, out of the depths I've talked to my neighbors and sought consolation from my friends. He says, as the psalmist says, out of the depths I've cried to you, O Lord. How often do we go elsewhere rather than to the Lord when we are out of our depths? I was thinking of this, of course, with it being deep water. I was thinking of Peter. Remember when the disciples were sent across the Sea of Galilee by themselves in the boat and the storm whips up, right? And then they see Jesus, right, walking towards them and Peter he comes out steps out onto the water and and begins to walk to the Lord on the water like Jesus and then he sinks as he began to look at the waves for us we can have seasons in our lives where we are overwhelmed by circumstances really outside of our control Honestly, everything's outside of our control unless there's consequences for our sin, right, that, that we're in. Uh, but even then, there's grace with the Lord, and sometimes those circumstances even are outside of our control. Uh, but really, the picture for me as I was thinking about that with, with uh, Peter is that if Peter's eyes had been on the Lord, continued to be on the Lord. He could have stayed and remained and not sunk. For Peter, he was out in the depths beyond what he could touch the whole time. It wasn't just when he took his eyes off the Lord that he was over his head. It was the entire time. But it was when his perspective shifted to take a look at the surroundings that he began to sink. And many times I, I think that when we get in that place of being overwhelmed, of overcome by the circumstances around us, we've always been in the circumstances. There's always things going on around us, things we can't control. There, there's, there are always things that are coming against us. If, we, if we're believers, if we place our faith in the Lord, we have the spiritual war going around us. We have the temptation of our sin. We have our flesh. We have all of these things. And if we're honest with ourselves, with our strength, and with the Lord, we say, I'm completely out of my depth. I'm overwhelmed in my own strength. But if our perspective is on the Lord, and we cry out to Him, then we have that peace, that grace, like we sang about tonight, like the Word talks about, that being able to just, just rest in Him. Now, it's not often that, that we're raised up out of those circumstances. And in fact, that's what this psalm is talking about here. Uh, it, it wasn't an immediate rescue that came from the Lord for the psalmist here. But it was a cry of faith. Out of the depths I've cried to you, O Lord, he says. Lord, hear my voice. So he continues to pray. How often do we labor in prayer for things? We feel overwhelmed we cry out, Lord, help me. And then we immediately go to trying to fix the situation ourselves. Get overwhelmed again. Lord, please help me. Or we just continue on in that situation, trying to work it out, trying to fix the problem. 
rather than laboring in prayer, continuing to cry out. That's what the psalmist does here. He cries out, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. I love what it says. It doesn't say, let your ears be attentive to my voice, after he had already said, Lord, hear my voice. He says, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. It's like uh, what the scriptures say, the spirit within us intercedes for us, for those things, you know, groaning for those things that we don't know that we need. The Lord knows he hears our supplications even when we don't have the words to cry out. The Lord knows our needs. His ears are attentive. Uh, It literally means that his ears would point to us, turn to us, look at us. Again, it's a cry of faith for the psalmist here, knowing where his help comes from, not from anyone else but the Lord. And he cries out to him. Verse 3, it says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The psalmist, he's overwhelmed. We don't know exactly what it is. There's no mention of who wrote this. Uh, Some say it was Hezekiah. There are some who say it was written in the time of Nehemiah um, and Ezra. We don't know, but obviously with what the psalmist is writing about, there's some recognition of sin, recognition of of things that brought him to this circumstance, of affliction that's there that that, uh, the psalmist is experiencing. He recognizes that, that any help that comes from the Lord is not in any merit of his is not because of anything good that he's done, anything that he deserves. He says, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh, oh Lord, who could stand? That word mark means to, to uh, truly pay attention to, to hold on to, to keep an account of, to, to then pay, to, to ask for payment for. Lord, if you should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? We see it throughout the scriptures. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous. No, not one. Psalm 143 verse 2 says, For in your sight, the Lord's sight, no one living is righteous. If the Lord should mark iniquities, who could stand before him? We have many different aspects of this. For us as believers, we know that there's grace. There's atonement for our sins and grace through the work of the Lord on the cross for us, in that our sins are covered and paid for and looked over because of what Jesus has done for us. We place our faith in him. We freely accept the forgiveness uh, of our sins uh, and our iniquities are no longer marked. But as I was thinking about this more and meditating on it, what struck me really was that This is the case even beyond the redemption of the Lord that Christ has given to us. When did sin enter the world? The time of Adam, very beginning. Sin entered the world. How long have men and women sinned? Ever since then, all the time, throughout their lives. And yet, mankind has existed for those 6,000 plus years on the earth since the creation with sin. And the Lord has not completely wiped out the earth. We had the judgment during Noah's day, right? But we had the covenant at that point that the Lord would no longer judge the earth in that way. But it's the very fact of the Lord's grace and mercy that we continue to exist just walk in our lives to take every single breath that we take. It's because of his long suffering that people remain on the earth. Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? Many times as Christians, I know I've been under it before where I just walk, have walked around with this feeling of, of condemnation because of shortcomings or or mistakes or giving in to temptation or any of these things and walking around saying the Lord's heavy hand is upon me. 
But really, the Lord, he... Now, don't mistake me. There's judgment for sin. The Lord does not wink at it. There, there are, there's a time of judgment. There's consequences. There's a need for repentance. There's a need for holiness. There's a need for us to, to cry out to the Lord in agony because of our sins. But at the same time, how gracious and merciful is the Lord. The Lord does not mark our iniquities. We're not struck dead as soon as we think of a bad thought or we speak something we shouldn't have spoken. The Lord is long-suffering towards us. And how beautiful that is for us. It's His character, His nature of who God is that He is gracious and long-suffering. And that's what the psalmist cries out, Oh Lord, if... If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? None of us. None of us could stand before him. Job 14, verse 16 through 17. Job, in his affliction, like the psalmist, in his suffering that he was going through. And remember, for Job, he was known as the most righteous man on the earth at the time. And yet the Lord allowed Satan uh, to to afflict him, to, to cause all these things to happen in his life um, that were really horrible things. But Job in uh, chapter 14, verse 16, he says, For now you, speaking to the Lord, number my steps, but do not watch over my sin. My transgression is sealed up in a bag, and you cover my iniquity. Job recognized that there was grace with the Lord, that there was long-suffering with the Lord. That even though the Lord watches over every single steps, every single step we make, that he wasn't watching over his sin. His transgression was sealed up in a bag. Now there was going to be a day when he would be held account to account for those things. But it says, and you cover my iniquity. It's that same idea of grace. And that's what he says, verse 4, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. How do we receive forgiveness? We recognize our sin. The Lord's grace is not there that we just continue to walk in those things, that we continue to live and continue on in in those iniquities. But it's this recognition, Lord, I can't stand before you because of what I've done, because of who I am. I deserve death. I deserve punishment. I deserve the payment for my sin. And yet, because of your grace and long-suffering, I can stand before you here and now and repent and ask for forgiveness from you. There's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. We don't oftentimes associate those two, but that's what the psalmist writes, and rightly so. The forgiveness that is with the Lord is so that he might be feared by us. That is what the psalmist is saying. The Lord forgives us and has grace upon us that we might fear him and then walk in holiness. Have that reverence, that awe, that recognition of like uh, the prophet who was brought before the Lord's throne and said, Woe is me for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Would be like that before him. Recognize his grace. Right? Uh, We've... Sing it in our songs. Your kindness leads me to repentance, right? It's the Lord's forgiveness that leads us to then seek to walk in holiness, to fear the judgment for our sin, that our iniquities would be marked before the Lord. And yet he forgives us. How beautiful that is. There's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. You know, I hate it when people say that, the Old Testament God is a different God from the New Testament. This flies right in the face of that when we see it here. God the Father is a God of forgiveness and grace, of kindness and long-suffering. We see it more fully, and we see the, the eternal work of the Lord in Jesus and have that end result of His grace in the forgiveness and the true dealing of our sin, with our sins There, and yet we see it throughout scriptures. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the Psalms here. 
the psalmist, he recognizes that he needs forgiveness for his sins, for his iniquities. He could not stand before him. He's in this place of, of affliction, in the depths, over his head, drowning. He's cried out to the Lord. And he recognizes his unworthiness. But yet he knows the Lord's character. There's forgiveness with you. And because of his understanding and his faith in the character of the Lord, verse 5, it says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. With the psalmist, again, there was an immediate deliverance. There was then this, Lord, this is, I've cried out to you. You know me, you're looking at me, your ears are attentive to me. You haven't marked my iniquities. There's forgiveness with you. I'm repenting of my sins. And now I'm going to wait. And the psalmist waits. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I do hope. The waiting there, uh, the root word has uh, this connotation of tying two things together with a string. Uh, and take... It's not a good illustration, but kind of gets that idea. I take my dog on a walk sometimes, um, and uh, she's getting old. She kind of has bad hips and everything. She used to pull me. Uh, now I'm pulling her along a lot of times. But it's that, that idea. I'm waiting for the Lord. Lord, I want to go. Let's go. But we're waiting for the Lord. You know, again, it, that's a bad illustration, but it's that idea of, I'm not letting go until we move. I'm going to hang on. I'm going to wait. I'm going to trust in the Lord. Maybe a better picture is you're hanging off a cliff onto a rope and saying, Lord, pull me up. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And look at what he's hoping in. He's hoping in the word of the Lord. He knows his character. He knows that he hasn't marked iniquities. He can stand before him because of the forgiveness that comes from him. And he's trusting in his word. He's clinging to the promises of God. We can cling to the Lord's promises. We can hope in him. That's why we're pondering the Psalms like we are. While we're going through these things, the Psalms are full of the promises of the Lord for us. That we can cling to him. We can trust in Him. We can know Him. We can hope in Him. We can wait for Him. And we should wait. And oftentimes it's in that waiting that the Lord deals with the issues in our lives. It's not that we're delivered out of it immediately. But it's that the Lord gives us the peace. Like, again, like we sang about tonight. I need peace. How do we get peace? By trusting in the Lord. By waiting on Him. Doesn't mean the situation's resolved, but we trust in him. My soul waits for the Lord. Verse 6. More than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. This is speaking of the priests who would wait and watch for the first glimmer of sunrise. So that they could go out and begin the early morning sacrifices to the Lord. It was a, a, a waiting for the promise of, okay, now it's time for me to go to the Lord and sacrifice to him, to do my service to him. It's beautiful. The psalmist wasn't waiting for the deliverance there, but he was waiting for him to be able to go and give a sacrifice of praise to the Lord, of thanksgiving to the Lord. How often do we pray and we ask and we seek and, and we cry out to the Lord. And we ask for forgiveness for our sins. But we don't in the same prayer then say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, I, I receive the forgiveness that you've promised me in your word. That step of faith, of stepping out and saying, Lord, your word says, if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive my sins. Thank you, Lord. We can do that. We can trust in him. If we 
if we turn to him, we can trust in him and we have the forgiveness already. Do we turn around and thank him? Do we thank the Lord for the things that he hasn't done yet? The Lord wants us to be in that place of hope, place of waiting on him, because that's faith. That's how our faith is built. That's how uh, we, we are growing in him. That's how we begin to walk in holiness as we wait for him. Again, that verse 4, there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. Verse 8. It says, this is familiar of course, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Right? That's the psalmist. He says, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? It's the same, the parallel here. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What was the psalmist hoping in? In his word. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. The forgiveness of the Lord is so that we may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, the grace of the Lord. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. The grace of the Lord. The mercy of the Lord, what we hope in, who we hope in, is his character and his nature. We can wait upon him. We can trust him. We can have forgiveness of sins. He is the propitiation for our sins. He paid the price for us, not just for us, but for the whole world. How beautiful it is, his mercy and his grace for us to walk in this forgiveness that we have. And then that, that forgiveness then teaches us to walk. That's what the rest of going down chapter 2 talks about. But now by this verse 3 we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. The forgiveness of God teaches us that we should fear him, to walk with him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk, just as he walked. Go back to Psalm uh, 130. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. To wait upon him. When we wait upon him, we're taught. We're given strength. We're given peace. We're given comfort. When we wait on him, we will not be ashamed. We can trust in him. And that should turn in us this attitude of condemnation, of drowning this feeling of being out of the depths and it can turn us around to this quiet, peaceful hope, trusting in him and that then turning into action on our part to follow him, to be obedient. I'd encourage you to look it up and read the whole uh, hymn. It was written by William Cowper. Um, if you don't know who he is, um, he was a friend of John Newton. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. Remember, obviously, you know that, that song, Amazing Grace. Um, he was a man who suffered uh, with depression and bouts of insanity throughout his life. Raised uh, in the Anglican uh, church, um, but his cousin, his first cousin, uh, was born again when he listened to preaching by John Wesley. And his cousin, in being born again, began to minister to... William Cowper 
and to encourage him in his faith. One of the things that he struggled with was this heap of condemnation on him of not being able to live up to God's standards, of knowing what he should do but not being able to do it. Uh, And uh, he wrote this uh, poem in the very last, and it was... became a hymn um, called Love Constraining to Obedience. And the last line is to see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. That's beautiful. The grace of the Lord changes us from being in oppression to being under it, to being in the depths To know his grace, to know his kindness, to know his character and who he is changes us from that into a child that's loved by his father. And changes it from us having to do these things so that we don't suffer punishment into a choice. What can I render to you, Lord? What can I give you? What thanksgiving can I give you like the... Uh, priests were waiting for to offer the morning sacrifices in the temple to turn around and give thanksgiving and praise to the Lord, to wait for him. It's this beautiful picture. Look at verse 7. So the psalmist, he's experienced this oppression, this, this anguish, this affliction. He's recognized his need for forgiveness. And now he's waiting on the Lord. And because of the faithfulness of the Lord, he turns around and declares to his people, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. Abundant redemption. The Lord's redemption is not just small enough for those things that we think we need. His redemption is abundant I'm, sometimes I'm struck by this realization that the Lord not only forgave me for the sins of my past, but he forgave me in the past the time, at the time that I placed my faith in him for the sins of the future as well. There's abundant redemption. And his redemption is abundant not just in our own lives, but it goes beyond us. Again, this flies in the face of Calvinism here. His redemption is abundant in that it's not limited to one people group. It's not limited to just the elect and the chosen, as Calvinism says. His redemption is open and freely offered to everyone. And it's there for everyone who would turn to him and receive Forgiveness of sins. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Don't, we, we've seen it throughout the Psalms. Not to hope in the arm of the flesh, the strength of horses, the armies and power and money and, and uh, circumstances. Don't hope in those things. But O Israel, hope in the Lord. It's in him who he is. Again, for with him there's mercy and there's abundant redemption. And then we have this beautiful prophetic verse at the end here. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The Lord has promised forgiveness for us as believers. We're told if we place our faith in him, we have forgiveness. From all of our iniquities. We have this promise here. That speaks to Israel as a people. That the Lord will redeem him. From all his iniquities. That began with Jesus on the cross as their Messiah. Looking forward to a Messiah to come. They did not recognize Jesus as their Messiah in his first coming. But they'll recognize him at the second coming scriptures say that they will look upon him whom they've pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for an only son they'll 
they'll recognize that Jesus is their Savior, their Messiah, their Redeemer. The Lord has a plan and a purpose for Israel. And all of these beautiful promises, this beautiful psalm that we have that the Jews would sing as they would go up to the temple on these feast days was pointing forward to when the Messiah would redeem Israel. Is not just something restricted and limited to us as Christians, as believers here and now. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11. Dan talked about it on Sunday, but it, it, Paul there in Romans, he writes about the Lord's plan for Israel. Israel did not recognize Jesus as their Messiah in his first coming. And because of that, they were cut off. Jesus wept over them. If only you would have known the day of your visitation. I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. Wept over them. And yet, in a short while after that rejection, temple destroyed, Jerusalem destroyed, the things that took place in Masada, the Jews scattered, and then we see persecution after persecution after persecution. You have Rome against Israel. You have the Christians against the Jews. You have the uh, pogroms. You have the medieval persecution of the Jews. You have them being kicked out of uh, Spain during the Inquisition. You have them uh, kicked out of England. You have them uh, going all the way up. Nazi Germany. Persecution. Opposition, hatred, it's demonic, and we've seen it throughout history, this hatred towards the people of God, and it's Satan's attempt to thwart the plans of God. If God is not faithful towards Israel, we as Christians have nothing to stand on. Throughout the scriptures, we have the promise that the Lord will redeem Israel, will save Israel. Turn to Romans 11. Let's look at it real quick. I know Dan touched on it on Sunday, but I just wanted to look at a few verses again there for us to know. It's so important that we know these things. You guys, uh, we're going to talk in a little bit about what's going on um, in the world, but Romans 11 Look at verse 19. Paul, he's talked about Israel's rejection. He's talked about the blindness that they have. He's talked about his desire to see them saved. He's talked about them being broken off, that we as Gentiles might be grafted in and become a partaker of the blessings that they've had. But verse 19, it says, You will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off. They did not believe in Jesus. And you stand by faith. So the only stand that we have is not anything that we've done. It's by faith. It's by belief. It's simply because we've believed in the promises of God. Do not be haughty, but fear. Remember what the psalmist says? Because of his forgiveness, we should fear him. Don't be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. Speaking of Israel, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? And now this is for us, modern day Christians, Americans, 
people seeing the things going on in the world. Verse 25, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Opinion That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That's that time of the Lord's grace where he's, he's cut off Israel and he's dealing with the Gentile church. Where the Gentile church has this blessing that was also prophesied in scriptures to come in. To partake of the grace and the mercy of God and salvation. This time, the fullness of Gentiles, it will come to an end. And verse 26, and so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. He says, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Those are the promises to Israel. That's what we have. God's plan with Israel is to redeem them. He's going to deal with them. They're going to be under affliction. I wonder if this psalm, Psalm 130, is going to be a cry that they have during this time. Lord, out of the depths I've cried to you. Hear me. A recognition of their sins. Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? But there's forgiveness with you. Waiting for the Lord. Waiting for him to come. For me in that waiting for the Lord in verse 6, it has that expectation we as believers have for the rapture of the church. But I, I also believe for the Jews during that great tribulation period, the horrific things that will take place, they're waiting. I, I pray and hope that there are Jews. We know the scriptures talk about the 144,000, the two witnesses, the gospel proclaimed by the angels in heaven. All of those things, the Jews will hopefully begin to have their eyes opened and they'll recognize the, the things of eschatology and Bible prophecy that we look at and see, time short, our Messiah is coming back. And he's, he, he's going to redeem us. He's going to save us. He's going to set us free from this persecution. And for them to be watching for the morning when the Lord comes. Bright and shining morning star. And for the Jews looking for him to come at that time. It's going to be horrific. Uh, the scriptures talk about uh, that in the last days, Jerusalem would become a... A uh, cup of drunkenness to all nations. Um, and it's really, it's speaking of uh, a desire to destroy it, is what it's talking about. Uh, and there will be this turning against Israel. I believe that there will be things leading up to that point where Israel, we know in the scriptures, we have Ezekiel um, 37, 38. Um, that talk about Israel dwelling in peace in the land at some point. Um, they're not at peace now, obviously, if you're watching what's going on. Uh, I believe perhaps Psalm 83 might take place where we see nations surrounding Israel very closely will attack and the Lord will preserve them where they will no longer have enemies on all borders on all sides like they have now uh, and then you may have what takes place in Ezekiel 38 at that point uh, but nonetheless because of this demonic agenda towards God's people towards Israel towards the Jews there is this constant uh, opposition to them as a, as a people. Um, and, and we're seeing that playing out in the world around us today. And unfortunately, the church has taken part in that as well with this replacement theology. Uh, there are many uh, different ministries and groups that I find, as you know, we, we've done, you know, uh, Bible prophecy updates here. And I did kind of a, a series of, of discernment type 
um, teachings where I talked about current events and different things and looking for resources for that to just see what's going on in the Christian world around us, you know, finding different ministries that talk about issues within the church and um, apostasy and uh, heretical teachings. But there are groups out there that I followed that have turned around now against Israel and have condemned it and said that, that uh, Jews have no right to the land, that the Lord has done with them, that they've bought into the lie of replacement theology where I felt, thought I could trust on all of these other things and now they've turned around against Israel, which is completely opposite what the Bible teaches. I mean, for me, I, I understand, and I'm not, I'm not saying they're not believers, um, but I do believe that they've bought into a doctrine of demons with replacement theology. It's hatred towards the Jews, God's chosen people. Um, and there's, there's such a danger out there. You know, we saw this week, uh, you know, there was outrage um, at what took place with Hamas attacking Israel, uh, attacking innocent civilians, babies, uh, little kids, women, all of those things that took place. And it took over a week for the world to finally agree with Israel that horrific things had taken place, where there was debating back and forth about whether something actually happened or not. Um, but then this week, there was the uh, failed rocket launch from uh, the terrorists in, in Gaza that landed on that hospital in Gaza, although there's some debate as to whether it actually landed there or not even. But it was less than a minute after that happened, literally less than a minute, and the world erupted saying Israel now has attacked innocent civilians in a hospital. Hundreds of people have died, and they've knowingly and willingly targeted this hospital out there, which is a complete lie. They, they have the proof out there. You can find the videos. You can look at all of it back and forth. But Dan and I were just talking before um, service tonight. You know, right now, America is standing with Israel. Biden has gotten up there and said, I stand behind Israel. Israel did not shoot this hospital with a rocket uh, or bomb it with an airstrike. Um, and Israel has projected the American flag and the Israeli flag on the, the Western Wall there right now. And thanks to America for what uh, support we're giving to them. But just as these protesters and riots and the nations across the world and New York Times and our own politicians immediately turned against Israel and said, if you were not doing these things, you wouldn't have experienced what took place with Hamas. And uh, how long will it take for something else to happen where then these nations, like our nation, that supporting Israel will turn against Israel? How long? You know, we're seeing things set up. Israel and Jerusalem have always been uh, a point of contention on the world scene ever since it became a nation again. Uh, and the calls for world peace have gone out ever since then. You know, it, it was uh, after World War II, everybody said they were fed up with war and wanted it to end, you know, the war to end all wars and all of these things. And they, uh, they created the United Nations to bring about world peace. And yet the United Nations has become, maybe has always been, a tool against Israel, where Israel has been condemned left and right in all of their actions for what they've done. You know, uh, the things that took place in Gaza would not have happened if Israel did not bow the knee and gave up Gaza, the Gaza Strip back in 2005, 2006. 
time frame. You remember that? There was the land for peace thing, right? Uh, Israel had that strip. 1948, there were some Jews living there. It was mainly all sand. Uh, and then uh, during the 1967, uh, or um, I forget exactly when, but at some point Egypt came in and had control of that area, kicked all the Jews out of that area. But in 1967, when Israel regained control of the Gaza Strip, Jews began to move in again there. And you, they developed the Gaza Strip into a major producer of produce, vegetables. They created technologies to grow um, food in that area that had never been grown in the desert before and had these breakthroughs of technology that they had in the Gaza Strip. But then because of pressure from the world scene, uh, Israel gave up that land. There were even Jews at the time that, that fought tooth and nail to the very end to remain in there. They had to be literally carried out from their homes by the uh, Israeli military. Uh, and they set up barbed wire to try and stop the military from pe taking people away from their synagogues that were there in the Gaza Strip at the time. Uh, and as soon as they were gone, all, all the hot houses that were there, all the other things that took place, there was this massive rush for all the Palestinians that went in there and took over and the, uh, they started dismantling everything for scrap metal to where then it became not a producer of anything. There was no economic benefit to the Gaza Strip any longer. But that's all modern things right now. But it, we have to be so careful as Christians what we're paying attention to, what we're watching. Like the psalmist wrote, he waited on the word of the Lord. He hoped in the word of the Lord. Without the word of the Lord, he had no reason to stand on the promises there in Psalm 130. For us, without the word of the Lord, without being anchored and rooted and grounded in God's word, we're going to be deceived by what's going on around us. The Lord has said that uh, he will bless those who bless Israel. The Lord has said they're his people. The Lord has promises in his covenant that cannot be broken because they rest upon him and his character with Israel. We as Christians, we need to speak up for Israel. Biden himself, he said during the Holocaust, no one stood by Israel. They saw, or by the Jews, they saw what was going on and did nothing. And Biden said, we're not going to stand by and do nothing this time. Now, whether he actually holds that true or that's just politicking, I don't know. But what he said is right. If things continue the way they're going, we may see uh, Iran brought in. You know, uh, they've said if Israel goes into the Gaza Strip, then uh, Iran will get involved. Hezbollah is kind of already involved. Hamas is, and Hezbollah are proxies of Iran anyway already. Um, but they've said outright that we will get involved if there's a ground invasion into Gaza by the IDF. Today, Biden said, you've got the go-ahead to Israel to go in on a ground invasion. They had this deal, of course, with the um, humanitarian aid. Is uh, America said we were going to send, I forget how much it was, but... 10 million, yep, to Gaza, to the south uh, area of Gaza for food, medicine, and water. Um, uh, and Biden said to Israel, uh, you can go in as long as you promise to allow this humanitarian aid to go in. And people are up in arms on all sides about all of this. Um, you know, there even in Israel, there are people who are saying, why would you send aid to there when they still have our hostages? Uh, you know, uh, and 
you know, things are getting nasty over there. If we see Iran go in, America said we're going to step in, right? We don't know what's going to take place. But what thing this is leading up to uh, is really uh, setting the stage for a need for a peace treaty to take place, like the Bible talks about. I'm not saying I believe the Antichrist is going to step on the scene right away after whatever happens here now. But this is the sort of thing that's ramping up where all the world is getting involved in what's taking place in Israel. Israel, this tiny nation that's there. But it's because of the Lord's plan and purpose for them. We as Christians, we need to stand up. We need to be aware. We need to understand that Jews need salvation. The world needs salvation. Uh, Palestinians need salvation. The Hamas terrorists need salvation, right? All of these people need salvation. We as Christians, we need to be people of the word that are not deceived by what's going on. We need to be people of grace and mercy. We need to uh, understand our place and our role in the plan of redemption that we've been grafted in. We're adopted into God's family. We're adopted into that family where the Jews were the natural family that's been cut off for a time, but they'll be brought back in. We have that promise here. So I wanted to have some time to pray for Israel, but I went long, so I was, I'm sorry for that. But there are a few prayer requests that some ministries have been putting out there that people are asking for Israel, and I, I'd encourage all of you to be praying for them. Pray for the nation, of course, for the families that have undergone this horrific trauma uh there are reports you know i just saw a, a 13 year old boy the only surviving member of uh his family after what took place it only happened because he went on a jog um and then his house was attacked and his entire family killed uh little girl uh shielded by her father uh, and ends up wandering down the street, you know, by herself after her family was massacred. You know, uh, there, there's horrific things going on. We need to pray for them. There are believing Jews in Israel. Dan talked about a, a, an acquaintance of mine. I worked with him for a while. His, he's a Messianic Jew. His, he grew up in New Zealand because of this draw to Israel. His family, when he was very young, uh, moved to Israel, um, and, and they're Messianic Jews, and his brother serves in the IDF, in the Air Force, um, and he asked us to pray for the Messianic Jews, that they would be a light to the Jewish people, that they would that they would show the grace and love of the Lord to all sides of what's going on out there. But prayer uh, for peace, we're told to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Prayer for uh, discernment, prayer for our nation as well uh, that that we would stand with Israel as we should and not turn our back on them I'd encourage you if you get a chance get this book find it if you can it's called Judgment Day by Dave Hunt um, this was updated around the time of the 2005-2006 the Hezbollah war um, but it goes into God's plan for Israel what happens to nations when they turn against Israel. It talks about Hamas. It talks about terrorism. It talks about Islam. It, it has uh, a almost prophetic viewpoint to what we're seeing today when it was written, you know, nearly 20 years ago. Um, so I'd encourage you if you have a chance to find a copy of it and everything. This one's mine. I take notes in it. So sorry, I'm not going to give it up. But anyway, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, Thank you for your word. Lord, uh, I know at the end I was kind of rambling about Israel, Lord, but they're your people. You love them, Lord. You desire for them to have a saving knowledge of you, Lord. They, they have blindness in part for a time, yet we've seen there are Jews who've placed their faith in you. Lord, I know many uh, Jewish believers, Lord, who, who, who've turned from Judaism uh, to embrace you as their Messiah and now have a more fuller expression of faith in you as a Jew, Lord. 
We pray for the people there in Israel that they would be saved. Lord, we have that promise. We pray that the Christians there would have a ministry to the people. We pray for relief for the families that are suffering, Lord. We pray that you would use us to turn them to you, Lord. We pray for uh, the hostages to be released, Lord. We pray for uh, the people, the innocent people, Lord, in Gaza, who don't want anything to do with the Hamas or uh, Islamic Jihad in, in Palestine, Lord, or any of these things. We pray for them, Lord, that uh, you would bring people to them who don't use them as a pawn, but that they would place their faith in you, be saved, Lord. Uh, and we just, Lord, you know what's going on right now. And we pray that as a church, if there are things we can do, Lord, we know we can pray. But if there's more we can do, Lord, that you would show us, Lord, individually uh, and as a church as well, Lord. Lord, thank you so much for your word for tonight. We ask this in your name. Amen.